0: Hello Freedom Fighters, thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. Today I'm joined by Adam... Franklin. He's the owner of Blue Wire Media. He's the host of Web Marketing That Works podcast. And he's the author of Web Marketing That Works, Confessions from the Marketing Trenches. Now, Adam here has been, uh, he started a web design business way back in 2005 with just $120 in his pocket. He was going around knocking on doors, cold calling, getting rejected over and over again. And um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this because I've, I've been talking to a lot of people who listen to the podcast, they subscribe to the newsletter, and it really seems like a common problem that even though people have this business, they have this idea that they're really excited about, but they're not getting enough customers to replace their job, and they're they're feeling frustrated. So Adam and I are going to discuss this in detail, and hopefully you'll leave this conversation with uh, some new strategies that you can use and tactics. So I'm really excited to have Adam here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here, Adam. It's a pleasure, Danny. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we we're able to uh, work around these connection problems that we've been having here. Uh <laughs> So I'm in in Thailand and you're in Australia. Uh, Perhaps you can tell me and the listeners a little bit about your backstory and uh, where you started,
1: where you're at now. Yeah, as you said, like we started in 2005, which doesn't feel that long ago in some respects, but in other respects, it feels like you know ages ago when you when you think about what was going on back then, you know, before Facebook and before iPhones and everything else. So Tobes and I started the business really just with 120 bucks, as you said and no technical knowledge and no business experience and we decided we'd start selling websites because the third business partner at the time he was a little bit techie he knew how to build a website and so Tobes and I literally started walking the streets knocking on doors seeing if people needed a website built and of course everybody said no thanks we're okay and it was a long hot uh, ex- ex- experience walking around in, in the heat in Brisbane in Australia in summer. <laughs> it didn't get us any Did you guys sales. get any customers? No, no. No customers? No, we didn't. Oh. So we did that for long longer <laughs> than we care to remember. And then we discovered cold calling. So, you know, at least we were in the shade uh, calling people up, asking them if they wanted a website. And most people said, or everybody said no. <laughs> it was only when we started to come from a place of generosity that we started to get a bit of traction. So we changed our approach. We basically had identified that there was a bunch of people advertising in the local magazine called the Brisbane News. A lot of them had the money to place an advert, but they didn't have a web address listed in their advert. So we chopped all of those ads out of the paper and that formed our list that we cold-called. And so we would call them up and say, notice you didn't have a website, if you're interested, we can we can put together a mock-up of what a website might look like for you. If you're happy for us to do so, we can come in and present it to you sometime. And that got us more appointments and that contributed to our early sales. Uh, and, of course, while well, being non-technical, Tobes and I also had to find a designer. Um, so luckily we had some <laughs> some mates who were looking to kick off their freelance design businesses and we reached this agreement. We said, um, if we can get, oh, would you be prepared to, to design the mock-up for us? And, and then if they go ahead with the project, it's yours. You can design it and we'll pay you out of what they pay us. And it was sort of this little deal we had going on with, with two designers that helped us out. So, yeah, that was how we got to some of our early sales, which, which was not an easy process.
0: Yeah, I love look- so you're basically employing the, uh, the, bandage, uh, the bandage formula where you identify this need, this pressing uh, problem they have, this, uh, I think one person called it the bleeding neck wound, and then you say, I noticed that you don't have this website, you could be missing out on a lot of business. And I imagine in uh, 2005, a lot of people... They didn't have websites back then. Uh, so how did, how did they get their leads? I mean, they must have just said, like, call this number and uh, they would get a recording or something, right? This that, that seems very inefficient.
1: Yeah, how those businesses were getting leads, I, mean, I guess it was just word of mouth and, um, and some of the ads mm-hmm. they put in the magazines. But, yeah, we were slowly trying to educate them that a website was a good option. Um, but it was still a matter of picking your right clients because not all of them were interested um, but once they actually saw what they could get, it was a lot easier for them to go, oh, yeah, that looks nice. I could, I can picture that. I could imagine that being up on the internet and all I've got to do is pay you X amount of dollars and, and you'll make it happen for us. So, look, that's how we got our first few clients and luckily it got a lot easier after that because we discovered that if you share information and come from a place of generosity and publish content online that helps people, then they can access that. They can learn from you. And then they start knocking on your door instead of you knocking on their door, so I much prefer the content marketing approach of building authority, being helpful, and attracting leads into the business.
0: yeah, I think content marketing is great for the long game, um, but I think when you 're starting out, you really have to to get yourself out there. You need to be you know putting yourself out there, you know contacting maybe it 's ten or twenty leads a day and um, what I really liked about what you guys did is is you found a secret where you were targeting leads who were already spending money on advertising. Um, you know, rather than just going up to any business, uh, you were able to target it down more. And um, when you when you contacted them, were you you just calling them or were you emailing them? Uh, we were calling them. Yeah, we were basically okay. calling them. Because they didn't. oftentimes they didn't
1: have an email address listed. They didn't have a website where we could look up their email address. So we were just calling
0: the, the number on the ad. And then so once you consulted with them, uh, how did you uh, – what was the conversation like? How were you able How were you able to close them? Well, basically, we said, "Look, this is this is um, what we reckon
1: it can look like as a, as a rough guide. If you want to proceed further, you know, we can we can um, alter the design a bit. We can then build it and, and host it for you, um, and basically ask for a, for a deposit. And I think back then it was only twenty percent, but pretty soon it was a fifty percent deposit. Uh, and if they like that, then they would." put the money in the bank and we would, we would um, fine-tune the design and flesh out the design. So it was as simple as that really for the, for the first handful of projects. But you see, we didn't really want to get in the habit of working for free because that's not a very good business model. <laughs> it is in some respects with content marketing, and I can draw the distinction later, but actually giving your time for free in a, in a, in a way that doesn't scale isn't a very smart business idea, which is what we were doing. We we had to. We had to hustle that bit at the yeah. start. And, you know, we had no no experience, no resume, um, no
0: website. I, I started out the same way, and I I think it was because I, I lacked a little bit of confidence that I could actually do some of the stuff that I was promising when I was when I was starting out. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So when, when they, when they, I mean, so you were new, um, you know, they didn't, you were an unknown commodity. Um, did they have any, and, and I'm sure they didn't, they didn't have a website. So they probably had a lot of uh, questions about this. Did they have any concerns or objections when, uh, you talked to them and how did you, uh, address those and, uh, still overcome those objections?
1: Look, they, they would have. Um, I mean, I think the fact that the biggest thing we were a bit scared about was the fact that we didn't have a website ourselves, nor really a portfolio of websites that we've done. <laughs> so we made up for that by actually showing them what it could look like. And once the attention was on them, they didn't really care so much. Because we they would say, Well that's more you know, there were more people are more interested in themselves than about other people. And so we, when we could say, look, you know, such and such has designed lots of other websites before, this is what he reckons for you. And our developer, he or she's designed develop lots of websites, just us as a company hadn't done it together yet. Um, and it was an opportunity to be one of our first clients. You know, there was a few of those things that we, that we discussed with them. But really, once once it was all about them, it doesn't matter so much if, um, if you don't have 10 years experience or X, Y, and Z. All the things you think matter don't matter so much, I discovered.
0: Yeah. So, and another thing too with, um, with websites, I mean, I, I did uh, web design. I had an agency a little bit after you, um, 2005, not, not that far back. I think I just got out of high school then. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I was doing a web agency, and um, the most frustrating thing for me was was getting new leads and getting new clients, and a lot of them would disappear or, you know, weren't good quality leads. Um, and when you do, I think, websites, is really churn and burn. I mean, you spend a lot of time and money to get, the leads, get these leads and then effort to convert them to clients. Uh, and it's also a one-off sale, you know. So it's it's really hard to to feel like you're getting anywhere. Um, maybe maybe you could tell me about the evolution of your business and uh, how, you know where you went from there. How did you make it more profitable? I think to the point where you had a uh, you had a full-time team. I think you had around 10 people working for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did. So we went from selling one-off websites, which we knew and as you said, isn't a great business model, just to be paid once and then have to go back to the drawing board and find new clients. So we started to add extra parts to the offering. So we would initially have a marketing strategy session at the start, which we would charge for, and then if they wanted to build a website, we would build the website as a separate piece of work. And then gradually, as things like social media came onto the scene, we would then offer social media consulting or training or ongoing management. We called them client success programs, which was basically a retainer. So we would try, not always with any success, but we would try to get clients onto spending at least a few grand a month as a um, as you know for, for updates, um, for support, for training, for whatever they needed. And so that got a bit more consistency in cash flow, but it was still very much a roller coaster ride because you take on a big website project that could tie up three or four people for a month. And sometimes when deadlines moved through no fault of us or our team, but like, you know, there might be a new CEO appointed at the, at the company that you're working for, or there might be like a global freeze on spending money on stuff, all these things that can just happen. And all of a sudden you've still got to pay your own team, but the project you're working on may be put off by a month or two, which presented some cash flow challenges at times. And so we gradually moved out of the agency side of things and focused purely on the training and education part of it. So we basically took what we learned from the first eight years running projects and then taught that methodology through speaking and events and workshops and online training courses, which is, which is where we're at today.
0: So, um, shifting to a product business, I mean, what's uh, worked really well for you uh, there? Because um, that's a totally different animal. Uh, you know, if, if you get a client and suddenly you got cash uh, right from the get go, but uh, I started doing products about a year and a half ago and it started out slow, you know, um, selling ebooks for $2.99 and then you got to come up with more products. Uh, what, what was the strategy that, that you found that worked best? Yeah, look, it has it has been a um,
1: it's been a few years in the making, and you know we did our first launch, if you'd call it that, in probably in two thousand and ten, and you know it was it was very modest. I think it was maybe three or four grand, which was by no means enough to even pay the pay the team for a week, but it got <laughs> our, it sort of dipped our toe in the water, and we thought, okay, so this is this whole. What was making. that initial launch? Pardon? What What was that initial launch? Oh, what were we selling? Yeah. Yeah, we were selling the workbooks that we would take private clients through. So if they hired us and our team, we would take them through the set agenda, do these certain activities, ask them questions, et cetera, et cetera, and they would pay us sort of consulting rates for that. We then released those workbooks and packaged them up as a DIY toolkit, and we sold that for, I think, $300. bucks. 2 agencies. Uh, yeah, two agencies and also to marketing teams who wanted just to Run the activities themselves rather than get us in to do it to sort of facilitate it for them
0: and and what has uh, what have you found has been the best way to target these agencies as, as you have learned and um, since since that had launched you know what's been the most effective uh, platform or channel for you well email is definitely the best platform
1: for selling um, in conjunction yeah. with webinars, but it's been you know i think I think a lot of the time the level of trust and the time it takes to build up that trust is underestimated. There's been, you know, people on our email list for 10 years and I think it's that regular contact of people getting to know, like and trust you and turning up even when you don't have anything to sell that has a big impact because, you know, I speak to other people that sell products online and I say, "Let's, let's talk about, say, your sales pages or your webinar offers and some of them say to me, you know what, I've rung up my customers and more than half of them didn't even read my sales page. And I said, really? How did you sell it then? And he said, it's all the work I did beforehand, building up that trust and building up that um, value in their mind. So that when it comes to having a product for sale, oftentimes they just buy it without reading the sales copy, without turning up to the webinar. So, look, I think it's a long-term game, but definitely email has been the best way to actually do the selling. And email has been the best way to deliver value um, by sharing things. In our case, like marketing templates, like training videos, like ebooks, and um, that has helped earn,
0: earn the trust in their eyes. Yeah, I think it's so great when um, your peop- uh, the people you're selling to, they're so excited to buy that um, they're just in a frenzy to buy because they, they don't even, like you said, they don't even read the sales letter. They don't even really know exactly what it is, but they know that it's going to be so good that it's going to help them. Um, and, and you said that comes from trust, but that's that's really the, the most desirable scenario that you want to engineer, I think. And um, one 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 guy that does it really well, I think, is our mutual friend, James Schramko, who we had on the podcast. Uh he has a mastermind group and it's like, you know, if, if you join this group, it's going to be like $300 a year, but you're going to get access to so many brilliant minds that, you know, you, there's no telling what your return might be. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think I, I read somewhere that the most, the two most powerful words in marketing are, yeah, sure. I think it was Gary Benzvanga that said that like, yeah, sure. So it's, it's basically the, the customer's reluctance. Mm-hmm. And if you can, you know, so many people that, uh, they, when they sell, they fall short because they come across that reluctance that, yeah, sure, and then you know they have a trouble getting people to buy it. But if you can get people to just, like, I don't know, be in such a, a frenzy that they know that it's going to be so good that they don't even think twice about the the cost, mm. uh, I think that's a really highly desirable scenario.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And if you think of offline examples, like if someone comes along and says, oh, can I get you a beer or can I get you a cup of coffee? You just go, yeah, sure. Um, you, know, it's, you haven't actually gone out of your way to order it or necessarily be thinking about it, but you like the place, you like the people, and you go, Yeah, yeah, sure, that's I, I trust I trust that you've got my um my best intents at you know, you are that you're well intentioned, I've got my best interests at heart. So yeah, you just go with the flow. I've certainly bought a lot of stuff off people because I know, like, and trust them
0: and I've got confidence in their in their material. So part of it is that no like, and trust, um, you know, building that relationship, just showing that you're human. Um, what, what are some other parts of the formula, you know, so that you're able to, you're sure that you're giving them enough value and they appreciate the value? Yeah, well, the value is
1: a funny one, hey, because it's all in their mind, all in their head. It can be one mm. tiny little thing in the course or in the sales copy that is the trigger for someone to buy, or it could be mm. almost oftentimes value that you've delivered in the past, and they kind of feel, you know, indebted or morally uh, obliged to, 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 to repay some of the value that you've delivered in the past. But um, being human, definitely, and, and really just adding adding the value and how as how they see it. Because one example I give is is that um, obviously there's, there's, there's thousands of us marketers on the internet that this this lady at my event said, "Oh, I um, I decided to come along because." Uh, you're the best in the world. And I thought, oh, that's very flattering. But, you know, (laughs) then I thought about it and in her her world I was because I was the only marketer in her world. So by default I was the best. And I think if we can approach it from a view that, you know, everybody needs this information and just because there's other people in the marketplace, well, that's a good thing because it shows there's demand. But if you can be the person they trust, then you're the best in their little world and you're delivering them value. And when you break it down like that, I think it's, it's quite achievable to deliver marketing <laughs> that people find valuable. Even though there might be a thousand of us all saying the same stuff, they're buying from you because they like you and the information um, they're getting is valuable as well.
0: I feel like there's another nugget there to uncover. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the call when you were uh, doing your agency businesses that you, you mentioned that the leads were more concerned about themselves than they were uh, about you. And I'm wondering if if you have a kind of like a customer avatar where, um, kind of like that woman who you just described, where you kind of just know them so well that um, you're able to describe them so well, you know what's going on in their head, you know where they're at with their agency, um, you know what they're looking for. And um, I think that exercise of having that that customer avatar, that like ideal customer who would be perfect for what you have to offer, I think that's so important too. Oh, it it
1: absolutely is, and it's the first step that we take clients through with our training is is uncovering that person, and, and we're very clear on the different avatars that we've got for the different parts of our business. Because one of the big discoveries for us is that the owner, entrepreneur, CEO, uh, has a vastly different set of triggers and ob- and objectives than a corporate marketing manager. We used to think that they both wanted results. We both we both we used to think that they both wanted the same things. But in reality, the business owner, who's the CEO of his own or her own company, they, they're they keen to take a few risks. They're keen to make faster decisions and they're prepared for things to fail. And that's okay because that's more part of their nature. They'd rather just get in and, and do it. you know. Whereas corporate marketing managers, they don't want to stuff things up because they don't want to lose their job. And so they're much more... Um, sensitive to risk, they'd rather pay more, they'd rather not worry so much about results, but they just don't want it to stuff up. Um, Whereas business owner entrepreneurs, they're a bit more price sensitive because it's money coming out of their own pocket, but they're prepared to give it a go and they're prepared to make it work. Um, And so that was one big distinction that we Mm. realized is that when you're selling to corporate, it's not necessarily about results. It's not making them look bad, not stuffing (laughs) up and not making them lose their job. And <laughs> and you know that's vastly different to the to the CEO who, who, who owns his or her own company.
0: That's such an important point that you brought up. I remember the exact same thing when uh, when you deal with like these big companies, they they want to go with the safe bet, so they'll never go with the lowest bid uh, because their their manager will say, "Well, look at of course they messed up. You know, you went with the lowest bid, and then they'll get fired too." Um, hmm. So they're more interested in, in safety and keeping their jobs. So if you're coming with the lowest bid, you're automatically not going to get hired. <laughs> you're not going to get hired. I'd no. rather go for the most expensive one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but business owners, um, they're also kind of looking more for uh, to see results quickly. And so you kind of have to be able to, to be very analytical, I think, when you work with them and uh, show them that they're, they're getting result for every single dollar they're investing. And, um, well, that's, I think that's very, very important to be really analytical and be able to report on results. Um, I think, you know, keeping regular communication, giving them status reports every Friday is really important. Um, a, a big complaint they have is they don't get enough communication from the marketing companies they work with. And um, what else? I, yeah, I so trying true, to thought. <laughs> Um, Yeah, there was something else I was going to add, but uh, I'm sure it'll come to me later. When
1: you think of it, bring it up. But, yeah, I remember exactly one of the things when we were doing, like, active projects with clients is every day there'd be a daily huddle, whether it was us on site with the client or us via a Skype um, group huddle, but with the client and his or her team plus our team working on the project to give daily updates of the progress that had been made. And once I were on it. Programs, client success programs, then we would do at a bare minimum a weekly report sent to them as well as have the milestones in a project management tool that we use called Basecamp where both, mm. it's got full visibility and both sides can see who's done what. So that communication is, is to- so important.
0: Yeah, I think that was the most important thing in my business was having the system of communication with the client and um, having these milestones where after they sign the contract, you know, I would send them a little gift along with a card, you know, handwritten card or something like this. Um, And I know that you also send uh, uh, thank you cards to your podcast guests because you asked me for my address. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Uh, And and then, like, so when the project, like, the web project is – website is completed successfully, you know, sending them a congratulatory – I used to send them plaques and stuff like this in the mail. Mm. Um, So I think that was really key, you know, and and also just building those relationships and then identifying these milestones in the customer relationship timeline and um going back i I remember what I was going to say uh, earlier was uh, I, when i when I work with clients uh I would have a qualifier, whether if it's like a business owner for example and and i would I would try to find out if they actually uh sorry, we're rewinding a little bit here, but if, if they actually hired employees like full-time or if they were actually already spending money on advertising, I think it was really important to kind of qualify the person that I'm talking with a little bit because there's so many entrepreneurs out there and you could spend so much time talking to them. They'll, they'll talk to you for hours about their business, um, but they don't really spend any money, you know, to, as an investment. They kind of have this scarcity mindset, so they don't have people working for them. They don't uh, spend any money on advertising, so they're probably not going to hire you. They're probably not going to be a good client. Mm. and I think in those
1: situations like earlier I said working for free is not a great business model but Mm. in some respects publishing content for free well it it is very good because you know you, you write it once you record it once like this interview we're doing now we'll do it once but it'll be online and downloaded many times over so the great thing about having a library of particularly online content, is that you can take those people who you might call tie-kickers because they don't have necessarily the money to work with you privately, but if you can then direct them to your blog and to your podcast or maybe to a book or or an entry-level price product, then you can still deliver value and you can still earn revenue and they can get much the same information, but at a price that's affordable to them, whether it's free or whether it's 20 bucks. So it opens up the avenue to have more clients and help more people, I think, when you've got that full spectrum of of products from free all the way through to, you know, your your really high-end premium stuff.
0: Right. So tell me a little bit about how you're able to uh, leverage content marketing to draw leads and get customers because um, I know there's a few different models out there. Um, I know bloggers who, you know, they'll do affiliate marketing or they'll do AdSense and basically they just drive a whole bunch of traffic and that's, that's the uh, zero-sum game for them where they just drive a bunch of traffic um, and then they'll get like, you know, very small uh, payouts from affiliate marketing company or from Google AdSense uh, or, um, you know, as people are trying to do, like, Instagram, you know, and then trying to get those people to become clients. Um, I'm just curious, what works for you? Like, how are you able to um, create this perfect harmony where you're able to intersect the content marketing with generating leads for your business? Sure. So I guess there's different types of leads for the different um, product
1: lines or revenue streams we've got. So some leads mm-hmm. come in for, for public speaking, for speaking at conferences. They're really good quality because... They know from the speaker's page, typically that they land on from a Google search. They know what fee range we are and they normally have a very specific inquiry and they've got a budget and they sort of say, are you free for these dates? And you go yes or no. So there, that's, that's typically search engine optimization. So being found on Google is where I tend to get most of my speaking engagements from. And then word of mouth once hopefully I've done a good job. Uh, when it comes to things like consulting, um, we don't do as much of that anymore, but really it would very often be people who, again, did a Google search like corporate, um, social media or digital marketing training or something like that. And again, we would show up on the first page of Google, at least in Australia anyway. Can um,
0: I ask you a question about, uh, public speaking? Yeah. Um, can you can you tell me about your process with that? Because I, I remember like last year, someone uh, got me excited about public speaking, and um, you know, I would I would search like certain keywords, like uh, call for speakers on Google, for example, and I'd email someone, and I I, ne- I never got any speaking gigs. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the, the big key to, to to my speaking
1: has been search, because if uh, yes, I certainly did a few freebies at the start to sort of cut my teeth and practice and what have you. But I wanted to be a professional speaker, so, you know, get, get paid to do it because it's a huge amount of effort to do a presentation. Um, it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of headspace. And it's a bit like, you know, a band. Like for them to create a song is a whole lot of effort to get it to that song stage. But then to re- repeat the song at different gigs, it's, it's much easier. Um, so I was prepared to put in the work and I just wanted to have like one really good keynote presentation that i did or i tailored a bit you know depending on the audience um so i definitely did a few uh, did i do a call for speakers i must have done a couple or maybe i just agreed to speak at some really small things like um you know 20 person breakfasts and maybe 50 person lunches all those types of things for free to practice but mm. what i discovered is that people referred to me as a social media speaker which i wouldn't have necessarily chosen myself um but that's what the, there was demand for. So I made, a, I made a point to actually optimize my speaker page for the word social media speaker. And then I went about trying to earn backlinks pointing to that page so that I could increase that page's authority. And so before long, my well, our page showed up um, if you searched social media speaker. And then, so as opposed to conferences who are doing calls for speakers, they very often want speakers to speak for free for the uh, so-called opportunity of speaking to their audience. And, yes, it definitely can be an opportunity, and I, and I do do them, um, but it's a hell of a lot of work, so you've got to be very clear on your objectives and what you want out of it. But, but people searching for a social media speaker very often had a conference that they were organising and they needed to fill the agenda with, um, with speakers, and very often they were from outside of our industry and they wanted a, a third-party person to come and talk about a specific topic. So for me... As I crept up the rankings for social media speaker, more and more inquiries came in, and more and more bookings came in. So that that was what has contributed to at least a hundred speaking gigs. Is that ranking for social media speaker?
0: I'm trying to to Google uh, social media speaker Sydney, uh, but I don't have Wi-Fi on my laptop right now. But um, it's it's kind of just stuff like. Yeah, they're just finding you through, through things like this, right? Exactly. And, and your results will obviously yeah. be a bit different to
1: mine, but um, in a, if, when you're in Australia, um, we certainly come, have come up top. We've been knocked down to second a couple of times, but not often, but that's been for the last, like, three or four years. So I'll, I've, if I was starting a speaking career, I would think about what people were referring to me as or actually asking them um, and then really trying to optimize a page for that, for that phrase.
0: And um, and then so once you have your page, it's basically just like a lot of social proof. Uh, I think when you have these, um, when you put these pages together, like these media pages, and um, and then you're, how are you getting these links to this page? Well, very often when people
1: put together their um, conference, you know, website, they'll have a list of all the speakers, uh, mm. and I'll say I'll make a point of asking them and saying, in my bio, do you mind having a link back to my website or back to my speakers page? And if you ask, very often you get it, but if you don't ask, then they don't really understand the power of backlinks or anything else. Um, plus, what I'll do is when I'm a guest blogger on somebody else's website, I'll have in my bio, Adam Franklin as a social media speaker, and I'll link social media speaker back to my social media speaker page. So again, there's more signals uh, for Google to pick up on that, um, that I'm a social media speaker.
0: Gotcha. So if someone were uh, starting out, they wanted to follow in your footsteps, um, they would uh, basically set up a speaking page. Do you have a a speaking page on your site they can check out as an example? Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: it's bluewiremedia.com.au slash speakers. And I modeled, yes, speakers, plural. I modeled mine on the book Platform by Michael Hyatt. He had a whole section on things to include on a speaker page. So mine is very much modeled on what he was advocating in his book, I think he's probably changed his, his own
0: speaker page since then, um, but mine, that, that format has served me really well. Very cool. So set, set that up um, and then optimize that for certain keywords, whether it's like social media speaker or um, whatever it is that, that you specialize in, and, um, and then just try to get whatever gigs you can to start out with, and then get those links back to your, your page, and then let the op-
1: yeah. And are you still
0: there? Opportunities grow organically from there, right? Adam, there. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, don't, I think I lost you for a second. Yep. So those tips you said, yeah, absolutely, that would be the way to go. And at some point, there's there's that scary part of going from um, unpaid to paid, and there'll be a time where people say, "Can you come and speak at this event?" And you'll have to actually say, "Yep. Look, you know, have, have you got a budget for this event or my fee for?" for a speech like this is, is X amount. Um, so that, you know, there's no set rule book where people just go, you know, you're, you're worthy of being a professional speaker. Now it comes down to you as an individual to go, okay, well, it's time for me to start charging and it's terrifying, but each time you do it and you do a good job and people thank you for it. Um, especially people that have paid you money and and they still thank you for it. you go, Oh, okay, cool. Well, I've delivered value and that builds your confidence and then you're more comfortable doing it again and again and building from there. But like, like with anything as a consultant, you're always terrified of charging for stuff and then raising your prices. But you know, as, as you get better and as you get more confidence, it, it, it all, it all just, you know, increases.
0: Okay. So if you want to check out his page, it's bluewiremedia.com.au Dot a U forward slash speakers. Yeah. And, um, he's also got some other goodies on his website. Uh, you have 33 marketing templates. You have, um, You you, you have this uh, web marketing system here that you you mentioned on your site where um, in 2013 you were able to attract more than 5,500 inbound leads um, working with HubSpot. Can you tell me a little bit more about that system? Yeah, definitely. So
1: in the early days we created this template, which is the one called the Web Strategy Planning Template. And basically we designed that so that we could convey to leads and prospects how the web universe fit together so they could understand it and feel empowered. So we gave that template away on our website. And for the first few months, we gave it away totally for free and totally like with no opt-in gate. So people could just hit the button and download it, which was great. Lots of people downloaded the content, but we had no idea who they were and we had no no way of contacting them again. So what we did... From reading um, inbound marketing and using the HubSpot software, was put up what we you know what's known as a landing page, where people can preview the content, but they've got to put in their email address in order to download it. And when we did that, that really changed the game for us because instead of having you know that, instead of having people come to our site and disappear with our template, they came to our site, they identified themselves. And they took our template and we could then continue to communicate to them and deliver other valuable pieces of content to them, which enabled us to build trust and build an email list and all of that sort of stuff. So in that first year that we put on the HubSpot um, software, yeah, I think we tracked, yeah, 5,500 or so leads in that year. And we were one of the, I think we were international partner of the year for, for HubSpot. So I just want to show that if you put up good content with landing pages, you can really attract a whole bunch of people. And of course, with 5,000 leads coming in, definitely a handful of those are going to become clients and are going to become people that refer you on. So that's the, um, that's the story behind, behind that.
0: So these uh, 5,500 leads, they were uh,
1: email signups, right? Yeah, they're email signups, yeah. Not, not, not leads as in an opportunity for work, but I'd call that more a prospect. But yeah, leads that were coming into our our ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I think a lead is like when they they put their hand up and they they show that they're interested in what you have to offer and the conversation begins. Yeah, or at least when they express that uh, that interest. Um, but that's that's really great though. And and you were basically you were using HubSpot and you give away um, a template, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, if if someone downloads your tools uh, now um, to to get started with inbound marketing, what can they expect?
1: Okay, so these days, if they download one of my templates, like the, the bundle of 33 marketing templates or the web strategy planning template, if they're listening to this in the middle of 2016, what they can expect is a email series where firstly, we introduce ourselves and say, thanks for downloading it. Here's what to expect. Then we move into free video training of how to use the template. Uh, so there's a series of two short videos explaining that and then they also get access I think in the third email to the editable f- files so the editable version of that template so they can rebrand it or co-brand it or build upon it because we want people to take that template make it their own and use it with their own clients or use it with their own marketing team so we give them that choice and then that's kind of like the they get to know you let's deliver some value and then we switch gears and so if you liked the templates or you liked our free training, have you considered buying our book? So then I think the next three emails talk a bit about the book um, and what you can learn in that and links to buy it and everything else. Um, so that's, 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 that's what people can expect when they, um, when they enter our ecosystem.
0: Excellent. So um, during this interview, we, we talked about some, I guess, more traditional, uh, if, if, the, if they actually are traditional, these online marketing methods like SEO. We talked about email marketing and public speaking. Um, but I'm wondering, what are you looking at going forward? Because uh, we're halfway through 2016, going into 2017. I, I see everybody's on like Snapchat, uh, Periscope, all these, you know, Instagram um, are, are you looking at any like uh, any of these newer platforms as a potential opportunity? Look, I play around with them, um, but I like <laughs> to focus on
1: I like to focus on the basics i 'll always yeah. tell clients and myself and the business to focus on having some good quality content, grow an email list, keep in touch with people via email, and yes I keep an eye on what's going on on snapchat or Instagram or, or whatever periscope i 've experimented with, with all those, but I kind of like to give them a go myself and if it starts to get traction or i start to see results then i'll share it with my with my readers i try and keep i try and encourage people to stay focused on one thing at a time and and particularly the stuff that's going to move the needle rather than get distracted by the new shiny toy so yeah look i'm on them but uh not not necessarily in not necessarily advising other people to get on them just yet
0: I see. And um, SEO is kind of your, your best way of getting targeted traffic, you say?
1: Look, for me at the moment, or for the last five years, absolutely, yeah, it has mm-hmm. been. Um, I think in the future, I'll be looking towards um, Facebook traffic as well as JV traffic, which is you know joint venture traffic where other people will share my content to their audience. Um, I think they will be two big components in future. But in the past three or four or five years, yeah, search has been one of the biggest drivers of
0: um, of new leads. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you earlier, too, um, when you were uh, pitching these businesses uh, in the newspapers, that were advertising in newspapers, would you think there's a uh, online equivalent to um, to that, like where you have these targeted prospects who are maybe either advertising or trying to promote their business and then um, you could be able to come in as like a consultant? I mean, if, if you were starting out again today and you just wanted to do it on the web, uh, what are some good channels that you think that would work? I mean, I know there's, there's things like Reddit, um, you know, a lot of businesses are Facebook advertising. Um, but but if, if you were just like to, to switch what you were doing initially, like if someone was starting out, you know, from scratch today, what would be a good place to find prospects, you think? Look, if it was me,
1: I would go to LinkedIn. If I was okay. clear on my avatar or my buyer persona, I'd use the LinkedIn advanced search feature, which is on the top of every page in LinkedIn. And that way, you know, back when, I mean, this information is free on LinkedIn. Like if you want to approach HR managers within a 20-mile radius of um, of Canberra or Hong Kong or wherever, um, Bangkok, you can just type that in and LinkedIn is going to give you a list of all the people that match that criteria. So it doesn't matter where in the world you are or who you're selling to. You can plug that information into LinkedIn, and it's going to tell you who these people are. Now, the challenging step is in taking that list and then building a relationship with them, or understanding how you can be of value to them. Not just like spamming them with a with a message through through LinkedIn, but working out how you can really be of value. And again, it comes down to coming from a place of generosity. Just like we got it wrong at the start, we would knock on their door and say, "Do you want a website?" That was all focused on us and we didn't get any traction. But as soon as we said, would you like to have a look at what a website could look like for you, then it was all about them and we got a lot more traction. So I, I would go to LinkedIn advanced search, identify the people I want to form a relationship with and then approach them with something that is, uh, that's actually valuable to them and kick the relationship off that way.
0: And you would sign up for a sales plus membership, right? I think that's uh, 39.95 per month. Look I, you could I haven't done
1: that. I, I tend to okay. yeah, I tend to just teach people what they can do with the free tools rather than get them bogged down on too many subscriptions. because um, I find a lot of the time like the relationship part is the hard bit. yes you can buy access to more people to send more messages to them or whatever, but that doesn't actually help the relationship side of things so that's the hard the hard work that doesn't scale that's, that's difficult and you know you need to be sincere and you need to be authentic and genuine and all that sort of stuff. So no, I would just recommend doing it on the free version.
0: Okay. So you can still send an email even if it's not an email via the free version, right? Uh, Well,
1: there's different, there's different ways. I wouldn't necessarily even contact them via LinkedIn. I would potentially find out who they are, go to their website, work out their phone number or email address. Um, maybe connect with them and, you know, maybe, may, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways to do it, but if I was starting out and didn't want to be spending any money, um, yeah, I'd, I'd Google them, I'd look up their website, I'd use one of those tools, I forget what it's called, but where it pretty much works out everyone's email address, if you just type in who, their, their, their first name and last name in the company
0: they work at. Yeah, there's one that I use called uh, Toofr, T-O-O-F-R, and um, it can do a very good job of detecting their email address. Yeah, I'd use something like Toofr, yeah.
1: yep. Yeah, so that's the, great you know, advice then. LinkedIn inboxes are pretty crowded these days and I wouldn't rely on that to get through. <laughs> I'd just, I'd use that to identify the person
0: and then use Tufa or equivalent thereof um, right. to contact them. Yeah, that's great advice. So, um, so to recap, um, once you have that that avatar, you have that avatar of who you're looking for, who your perfect customer would be. Um, then you need to get their attention and then you, you research them a little bit and then you can kind of get their interest. where uh, maybe you apply that bandage formula that we talked about where, uh, you know, you find they don't have a website, for example, um, and then really just kind of build that relationship and then uh, go from there.
1: Yeah. And,
0: um, yeah, I could see someone, you know, getting, you know, four or five clients a week even if they're just starting out this way. Yeah, yeah I, I reckon so too. And, and the, one of the best things
1: I've discovered, as you have too, because you've got a podcast, is the best way to find out what people's challenges are is, and to build a relationship and to start from a place of generosity is to interview them. So it can be, an, you know, like we're doing a podcast, this is an interview. I used to interview people on a video for my blog. You can email people and say, I'm putting together an article for my blog and I'd love to know what you think about X, Y, and Z because then you're not selling anything then. You can do the interview, you can ask them, you're non-threatening, you can get to know them And then once you're on their radar, then they know you, and then you can try and deliver more value that way. So if in doubt, interview them about something, put together an article about what all the HR managers in Bangkok, you know, want to know about and (laughs) send it to them once it's done. And just, yeah, I found it to be a great technique.
0: Yeah, it's great because you're not. Uh, there's no pressure, and you're giving them value, and it's it's win-win-win for everyone. It's win for you. It's win for the person being interviewed, and it's win for your audience as well. Yeah, exactly. People love talking about themselves, so if you give them a chance, then they'll then they'll they'll love you for it. <laughs> That's everyone's favorite subject. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, very cool. This was a fun uh, conversation about uh, outbound marketing, inbound marketing, psychology. And um, anything else that you wanted to uh, leave us with before we signed off? Look, I think just to just to realize it's a long-term
1: game. You know, the people that do it the best, they they don't they're not on everything. They do one or two things really well. It might be five or ten years till you introduce like a podcast or or a um, a different a different platform like video. But um, yeah, just just realize that if you really give value, and if it feels like you're giving away too much then that's probably a good indicator that you're on the money Um, because a couple of really good pieces of content will keep paying dividends for years and years down the track, and you're much better off doing that than spinning your wheels trying to create a new piece of content every day that's mediocre, Mm. better off just picking a couple of things and doing them really
0: well. Very cool. Thank you so much, Adam. So for you, the listener, your homework after this uh, podcast is... uh, Take out a pen and paper and write out your ideal customer avatar. If you have customers now, um, think about what qualities they have, you know where they're at, what kind of business they, they have, or uh, what they're looking for. Um, and then listen to this podcast again. Check out Adam's website, bluewiremedia.com.au and his podcast. And uh, if you're just starting out, you'll learn a bunch of great outbound strategies like we talked about during this call for uh, getting clients initially, and then switching to the long game and doing inbound marketing, speaking, um, and SEO. You'll find more on Adam's website, and you'll also find his 33 templates. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about those 33 marketing templates that you have. Okay. So if you just go to my homepage,
1: bluewiremedia.com.au, there's a big orange button there that says um, give me my templates or access my templates or whatever uh phrase we're testing at that point in time click that pop your name and email in and um, they'll be delivered instantly to you and you'll go into that email autoresponder that i told you about they all come from my email address so if you hit reply i'm there Um, hit me up with any questions you like um, over email
0: and those templates are kind of like
1: uh, operating procedures and stuff like this right yeah they're perfect for marketing consultants or marketing managers so there's things like social media planning templates social media, um, guidelines, templates, how to respond to negative comments, there's Skype interview <laughs> templates, there's, um, all sorts of different things. Uh, but there's 30, 33 of them. There's, there's, LinkedIn daily plans, Facebook daily plans, um, Instagram daily plans. There's a whole bunch of different stuff. So just pick a couple that you feel like you might um, get some value from put them to use and just know there's plenty more, uh, to, to, to work with as as your journey unfolds.
0: Very cool. Well, you've sold me. I've just signed up, uh, to get my 33 templates. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Adam. It was a pleasure chatting with you.
1: Absolutely. Danny. Thank you so much for having me on the show.